Bibles with me to Romans the 10th chapter. Romans the 10th chapter, we have been spending a little bit of time on a series that we named Sozo. And within the midst of uh, this word and understanding this word Sozo, uh, we have begun to understand that you know, the understanding of salvation for many is that I prayed a prayer and Jesus saved me and I get to go to heaven. And that is true, but Jesus did so much more. And really on the basis and the foundation, I shared this uh, uh, just a little bit, you know, years ago as I was praying and confessing the word in our, our building over there behind the mall that we were in, praying and confessing the word, praying, uh, you know, uh, confessing First uh, Peter 2.24, uh, that uh, thanking him that he bore my sin that day on, his, on the tree and that by his stripes I am healed. And so, you know, I'd confess that really since I was a teenager and began to learn about healing and deliverance and freedom. But it struck me that day as I was praying. Why? I mean, if you hung on the cross, you shed your blood, paid for our sin, why specifically does it talk about healing in the light of the stripes that you bore on your back? And uh, it just came up on the inside of me uh, that Jesus would never have ever gotten sick. There was no a place for disease to attach itself to his body because he wasn't born into sin. And uh, sin around him wasn't affecting him. And so because he would never get sick through his lifetime, that he had to, in order to purchase our healing, he had to bear in his own body. Just like it says there, he bore in his body our sin, right? So that spiritually that we could be made whole. And he bore stripes upon his back or in his body so that our physical body could be made whole. And as I'm listening to that, I mean, just something stirred on the inside of me. I heard myself saying, oh my God, let me learn of what you've done for me. Let not one drop of blood that you shed for whatever you were purchasing for my life, not just the forgiveness of sin in heaven, but what if you did that for my body, what did you do for my mind? What did you do for my, my, my thinking? Every part of me, not, let, not one drop of blood have been shed in vain or uselessly on my behalf. Holy Spirit, begin to show me everything that you purchased by your blood. We began to see and understand that this word salvation or sozo in the Greek doesn't just mean a ticket to heaven. It doesn't just mean pray a prayer and you get to go to heaven because within the midst of that prayer for salvation, you must confess Jesus as Lord. Lord, Master. And so if we only have a mindset that he's master of my eternal destination... Well, thank God for that, but what are we going to do in navigating our day-to-day -day life? And he didn't just purchase that so we could have an eternal destination, but that we could experience relationship and the fullness of life that God had planned for man when he created earth and put him on it. He wanted to walk with him. He wanted him to be uh, pro productive, fruitful, multiplying the earth. He wanted him, them to subdue it and have authority, wanted him to be uh, uh, really flourish within the earth and walk with God every single day. And sin broke that, and he wanted to restore that, not just an eternal destination, but a fullness of life. And so when we begin to see that when we call him Lord of our life, and he says, in that you receive salvation, he didn't just say you receive an eternal destination, but you are saved from what sin has tried to do to destroy your life. And so he said you will be not only saved 
from eternal separation from God. But in that, you will be delivered from the bondages of sin that have entrapped you. You'll be healed of all manner of sickness and disease, that you'll be made whole from life that has broken you down. He says it'll be well with you or your life will prosper even as your soul prospers. And he said, I want to be the Lord, not just of your eternal destination, but I want to be the Lord of your whole life. I don't know about you, if you've ever said this, but people have made this comment to me that I've, put, I've let Jesus be Lord over this area of my life, but this area of my life is for me. I also heard one minister say one time, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, is he Lord at all? But when we begin to think about Jesus being Lord of all, if we haven't been taught what he's Lord over, what he's Jehovah over, what he's Yahweh over, then sometimes we don't know what to call upon. And so we're spending this time really to look at who he is and all that he's done and what the Bible refers to him as in so many different places. And so Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 8, is our foundational text. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, or Jesus is Lord, or Jesus is master of your life, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, healed, delivered, set free, made whole, and prospered. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John have raised the man at the gate beautiful in their question, they make this statement. We said this, there is no other name under heaven by which men should be saved, healed, delivered, set free, made whole, and prospered, except the name of Jesus. Except the name of Jesus. Well, why is that? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 tells us this. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearances of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. The name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, everybody say Jesus. Come on, at the name of Jesus, everybody say Jesus. Jesus. Say Jesus like he's your help. Jesus. Say Jesus like he's your salvation. Say, Jesus, like he's your all in all. Jesus. Come on, man. If, if I was sitting there and it was about somebody getting saved and they were like, Pastor Mark, Pastor Mark, I need to be saved. Come on, somebody's calling out for salvation. They're drowning or something. They're yelling, help, Pastor Mark, I'm dying. I'm drowning. Help, Jesus. Come on, say it like he's your savior. Jesus. All right, that's a much better. Come on, when you understand what you're calling on, the name that is above every name. Come on, if you're expecting every knee to bow, 
and every tongue to confess that Jesus is master over your situation. You better speak the name of Jesus like you know he's the master of your situation. Come on, I'm just telling you. You got to say Jesus with some confidence that that name is above every name. Not hoping so, not thinking so, not maybe so. Jesus is Lord over this situation of my life. All right, praise the Lord. Sorry, got me a little stirred up. Jesus' name, Jesus. I got to figure out where I was. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, master to the glory of God the Father. You see, principalities and powers already know that he led them in a triumphant parade and mastered them. They know it. He knows it. If the believer knows it, they have to bow. They're counting on the fact that they can deceive you that you don't know that he's the master, that you don't declare by faith he's Lord over this situation. They hope that you'll bow to what they're doing instead of declare Jesus so that they bow to that name. The Passion Translation says it like this. It says, and consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. The example of Jesus Christ, he existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest name of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will one day submit to this name. In the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and the demonic realm. And every tongue will proclaim in every language, Jesus Christ is Lord, Yahweh, bringing glory and honor to God, his Father. Praise the Lord. Come on says that he is Lord Yahweh. He is Lord Jehovah. And in his name, he, he wraps every other redemptive name of God from the Old Testament. He is Jehovah. He is the I am that I am. He encompasses all that. And we can begin to understand that it's all wrapped up in one. And when we take an example from those who have gone before and recognize that when I'm in a situation and I'm in a place where I understand the trouble in that place, that he is the answer to that trouble. He is the Lord over that situation. When I don't know what direction to go, or where to be. He is the Lord, my shepherd, that he leads and guides me. And because he's my shepherd, I have want of nothing. That he leads me where I need to go. He leads me to feed me, to sustain me, to protect me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We don't have to flee in the midst of the enemy's attack, but we can sit down and partake of all that God has for us right in the presence of our enemies. 
And we know that surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life because he is our shepherd. He's our righteousness. When we feel like we're not worthy, when we don't measure up, when we've done too many wrong things, when we can't overcome the situations that have happened in our life and the things that we've said wrong, done wrong, acted wrong, he is the master of our righteousness that he washed and cleansed us and put that away. And so we need to call upon him, not just to say, look at how bad I am, but to say, you know what's happened and you have become my righteousness. He is your provider and the source of all things. As we see in the the, the understanding of the economy, whether it's going to go up or down or what's going to happen, that he is our provider, that he's the one that supplies your every need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, that he's given you every good thing, that it's his good pleasure to give you of the kingdom. He declared that if we would set our hearts on him and his righteousness that all the other things that we have need of would be provided for us come on he's jehovah nisi he's our banner we put that stake in the ground and say jesus christ is lord of this area of my life and we're waving a flag out in front and that flag doesn't ever go down. We pick it back up, and it locates us, and it locates where we're at. And we put that stake in the ground and verbally declare Jesus as Lord, just as in the army, just as in the battles that take place, and that flag bearer, that standard bearer, is the location for the troops to go to when the noise of the battle is so great they look for the flag and the banner. Even so, angelic help and things from God look to see somebody's holding up a banner that Jesus Christ is Lord of this battle in my life and he sends angelic help and forces and anointing to break down the bondages of the enemy to cause you to have the victory in Jesus Christ come on he's the Lord your banner it's time to quit thinking about the past and battles lost and put your flag in the ground and say this is where I stand in victory through Jesus Christ I will not give up I will not quit because I cannot be forsaken. So we're just going to take a few moments and look at this next name of Jesus, this redemptive name, Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah. It is the Lord is there. The Lord is there. The Lord is with us. Thank God he's with us. Come on, no matter where it is, no matter what you feel like, how many times, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many times have you thought, dear God, where are you? Come on, I'm in a mess right now. Where are you? But when you know he is Jehovah Shammah, he is there. And you have in your heart and the understanding that God is there. He told Joshua this, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5. He said, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. That's good. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. When we start to get that heart and understanding, you know, as Alan was saying, where there is that 
prophetic vision where there is that vision that God has given you, the word from God that God has given you, and you put faith in that word. He says it causes you to have vision so you don't cast off restraint. You don't wander aimlessly. And when you know, just like Joshua knew, that God has a plan for my life, God has somewhere for me to go. He said when you know that beyond a shadow of a doubt and you put your trust in me as the Lord of your life, no one will be able to stop you from accomplishing what I have given you to do. And when we know that, we can't think, I'll arrive at heaven and blame it on my wife. I'll arrive at heaven and blame it on my husband. I'll blame it on my boss. I'll blame it on my pastor. No, when God has given us something to do, if we put him and make him Lord over what he's told us to do, and we meditate on his word day and night, we allow him to make our way prosperous that we might have good success. He said, nobody will be able to stand in the way of what I have given you to do. He says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. He said, I'll be there. I'll be there. Come on, listen, he's there. They took, they took Jericho, and the walls came down. They had this great victory. And then they went up. They, they just kind of casually decided we're on, on a track to take the land. They went out to take Ai. And as they went out to take Ai, they got defeated. I mean, they got defeated bad. They sent about 3,000 soldiers up, and Ai just chased them off, killed like 36 or, or 40, somewhere in there, of their men. They came back with their tails tucked between their legs, said, what's going on here? Joshua, I thought we were taking the land. And Joshua had to stop, and they would think, and he even cried out to God, God, what did you bring us out here for? Where are you? What did you do? And God says, I'm right here. The problem is I'm here, but you didn't obey me. I told you to utterly destroy Jericho and not take one thing for yourself. And you got somebody. It's not that I'm not with you. You got somebody who's got stuff under their tent. And so God gave them instruction. He says, I'm right here. I'll tell you exactly what to do. I'll, I'll be here with you, take you all the way through. And when you accomplish that, then we'll go up and we'll take AI. See, they thought, they began to think, is God not with us anymore? We lost the battle. But God was there all the time because he'll always fulfill his promise. He said, I'll be with you wherever you go. I won't leave you and I won't forsake you. That doesn't mean that people won't leave him and forsake him, but he'll never leave you and never forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13 Verse 5 says it like this, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not, will not fear what man can do to me. The Passion Translation says it like this, don't be obsessed with money, but live content with what you have. For you always have God's presence. For hasn't he promised, I will never leave you alone? Never. And so I can say with great confidence, I know the Lord is for me, and I will never be afraid of what people may do to me. Come on, if he promised, I will never leave you and never forsake you, he will be there. Jehovah Shammah. And he will be the Lord if you allow him to and say, you are the Lord that is there, then wherever there is, you are the Lord of that place. 
And he's preparing us for what he's prepared for us. So when we arrive at that place there, that he's already preceded us to that place. And when we arrive there, we begin to occupy that place through the call of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ rather than be occupied by it. The 23rd Psalm in the fourth verse says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He said, listen, I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. But I'm not afraid. Why? Because you're there. If I'm there, you're there. And not only are you there, but you're guiding me and you are protecting me as we go through that. That was the confidence that the psalmist had. Lord, you're there. Wherever I am, you are Lord and you are there. You're the Lord, not the absentee Lord. See, if we're not careful, we begin to look at society and we begin to see absentee mothers, absentee fathers, and we're wondering about that. But he's not absent. He's present. Because it's not only mean the Lord is there, but it means the Lord is present. And listen, the Lord isn't just present hanging out. He's present. He's not only just there, but he's giving attention. He's listening to you. He's watching you. He's waiting for you and I to say, I know that you're here. What do you want to do right now? Instead of saying, where are you? I got some things to do. Where are you? We realize he's there and he has something that he wants to do and how he wants to do it. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 22, he says this. This is God speaking. He says, and there I will meet you. I will meet with you. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. He goes on to say some things. But God said, there. Not in your tent. Not out wherever you want it to be. He said, I will meet you right above the mercy seat. He said, when, the, when you come in and you sprinkle the blood, I'll meet you. And he's speaking of the Old Testament, but we know by Romans that he's made a propitiation for us. He shed his blood, and where he shed his blood is in that place where now we have access to the very presence of God. And he said, there is a place where I will meet with you, and it's a place called there. It's not where you want to meet. It's right here in my presence above the mercy seat where you may come in or you might feel unworthy because of judgment. But mercy triumphs over judgment. So when you come in and declare the blood of Jesus, he said, I'm there. Come on, we get around the blood of Jesus, he's there. We start talking about the blood, he's there. You start talking about the name, he's there. Because he wants to be with you wherever you go. 1 Kings chapter 17 There is that place where we have a confidence that he is with us wherever we are. Whether we're in the valley of the shadow of death, whether we're having difficulty uh, at different times in our marriage, in our family, in our finances, that he's right there with us. But there's a time of transition and there's a time of change. There's always a place where God is not a stand-still God. There are those moments where he said, be still and know that I am God. 
There's a time to stop and, and get that revelation, but God is ever moving forward. He's ever moving and directing. And as he moves and directs, he says, I want to understand that you're listening, that you know that I'm here, but you also know the direction that I'm giving you so that you know that I'm going to lead you, but in the sense that you might know that I'm going to go ahead of you and prepare a way. As we begin to pray and God begins to uh, give us through the Holy Spirit prayer, he's getting us to lay out the track ahead of us. What's he doing? He's getting us to declare our voice, to allow the Holy Spirit to bring forth the plan of God so that as we're speaking that supernaturally, not only is he with us here, but he has gone before us to be there when we get there. The Lord is there. You may say the Lord is here. He's present, yes, but he's also the Lord is there. And so in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah has just declared drought over the land. Things are changing. There's going to be a transition. So the Lord spoke to him. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide uh, by the brook Cherith which flows into Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now, if we're not careful, we say, listen, I know there's a drought. And, you know, the brook Cherith is kind of a long ways away, God. And uh, I'm just believing, and my confession of faith is that you will feed me here. But God didn't say, I'll feed you here. God said, I've already prepared a place, and I've already prepared provision. You need to go there. And God said, I'll feed you there. If you read on, he went there, and then the brook dried up, and God said, go ahead into Zarephath, and I've already prepared the heart of a widow, and she will sustain you there. And so he could have said, now, wait a minute, God. You sent me to this brook. And you said the ravens would feed me. He said, yeah. And I was there, and I fed you. Well, I'm just believing supernaturally that this brook won't dry up. I, I confess, brook don't dry up. Brook don't dry up. Well, you can do that forever because God said, now we're going to leave the brook, and I'm going to meet you at the widow's house, and there is where you're going to eat now. Come on, we've come a lot of ways in this particular aspect is geographical location and so many times in the old testament we see geographical location and sometimes we think well i'm just going to go and god's going to meet me there but it, god meets us in a number of places he's telling us right now emotionally you're in a place right now but if you'll get up from that emotional place if you'll get up from that place of sadness and depression and begin to rejoice i will meet you there if you'll get up from that place of negative thinking and begin to renew your mind to my word and my promises, I will meet you there. Because everything that I've promised you, I will perform it and I will meet you there. If you'll get up from that place of offense and forgive others, I will meet you there. Come on, because he's the God that's there. And you may say, I'm just going to pack up and move and go somewhere else. But if God didn't tell you to go, he won't meet you there. But God's speaking to us because he's ever moving forward. 
And he wants us to pick up and we say, you know, this is just how I do it. This is how I, 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 I go through my routine. He says, listen, I want to show you that I'm greater than where you are right now. I want to show you that you thought it was amazing that I was feeding, having the ravens feed you. Watch this cruise of oil and this barrel of flour never run dry till this thing is over. He said, it's pretty amazing that the ravens would go to the king's table and steal his steak and bring it to you. <laughs> well, where do you think the ravens got that meat? Already prepared. There might have been drought, but the kings had something to eat. God just said, well, I'll just send that raven over there, grab that steak right off of Ahab's plate. Ahab's going, you dirty ravens. He can't figure out why every day that same raven is taking his steak. And I'll just tell you something about ravens. Those things are crazy. That's the same raven. I named him Brian uh, for particular reasons. But that raven comes over here, and I'm praying, and he jumps at that door and just smacks at that door. One time, I really, I was a little shaky. I thought, all right, I'm going to test this out. I mean, he started showing up right after Brian went to heaven. And so he would just whack, whack, he'd bound on that door and pound on that door. So one day, I just went and opened the door, see if he'd come in. He didn't come in. So I knew it really wasn't Brian. I just called him Brian. <laughs> Brian would have come in. I know that sounds shaky, but I, you test all things. And then that thing started going over to my office door over there. We just land in there and leave spit and stuff all over the glass. Never brought me a steak, though. But I can see how that, that raven would just go over, wah, wah, and people are running around, and while they're running around trying to get it from squawking, just fly by, grab Ahab's steak, fly right over. Elijah's sitting there. He delivers Ahab's steak. What a joy. So you really have an imagination. Well, we'll find out when we get to heaven, but wouldn't it be fun? The same king that's mad at him, God sends a raven, takes his steak. He says, well, you think that's amazing? Well, we're done with that. I want to show you something even more amazing. I want to take you to another level and watch how not only will I sustain you, but I'll take you somewhere that I will sustain others with you. See, God doesn't want you in the same emotional and physical state, the same marital state where it's just about you. He wants to take you to the next level and meet you at a better marriage where your marriage is not only helping you, but it's helping others. He wants you to get to a place where it's not about you feeling depressed and down and mistreated, but he wants to bring you to a place of joy and understanding so that doesn't just affect you, but it affects others. He wants to meet you at a higher place, and he, if you'll step up, he'll be there. He's the Lord that is there. Come on, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Yes, he's here with you, but he says, I can't sustain you right here, even though I'm with you. He says, but I'm going to go before you, and if you'll go where I'm taking you, I'll sustain you there, and I'll be right there. It's not just about him ever being with us in our situation, but it's about him being with us and also being ahead of us so that when we get there, we know that he's been there and is there with everything that we have need of. And you can see it over and over and over again in the Bible that he would precede them in battle. He would precede them in their journey. And when they got there, there was victory to be had. There was provision to be had. That he would go before them to be their shield and their buckler. 
their rock and their fortress, their God, that in whatever situation, wherever they are, they could put their trust in him. Why? Because he's always with them. Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus sent them out as he was leaving, he was about to depart. I mean, they're about to see him go up into heaven. He says, I'm about to leave, and I'm just going to give you this commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe and to do everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. He gets taken up in heaven. They could have went, well, now that, I mean, really. He said he was going to be with us, and then he left. But no, he said, I'm with you right now. But he already told them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he said, wherever you go to share this gospel, I'll be right there with you by my spirit. Told him this in Mark chapter 16. You can stand up. Mark chapter 16. Told him the signs that would follow them that believe as he dispatched them to preach the gospel. And it said they went everywhere preaching his word. And he was with them confirming the word with signs following. Jehovah Shammah is the Lord who is there or the Lord who is present. Wherever we are, whatever we do, when you feel like crying out and going, where are you? Instead of doing that, say, I know you are here. It'll start to resolve a lot because if you think he's out there not paying attention, he's not present, he's not with you, you start to scramble and say a lot of things. When you stop and it feels like he's not there, but you call on the name of the Lord who is there, who is right here, it starts to change how you think about what's about to go on. Because if he's not there, you're in a losing battle. But if he's right there, something's about to happen. Things are about to turn around. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you. You are good. Your mercy endures forever. And ever and ever, God, we love you so much. Thank you for sending Jesus to be a fulfillment of all that you have and all that you are. That at his name, that name that encompasses all other names of Jehovah, all other names of any sickness or disease, any other name that could be named, in heaven and in earth and below the earth, Jesus' name encompasses and gives us victory over every other name, and we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, teach us even more how we with great confidence can declare that name. That truly with a faith and an understanding that he fulfills all that we have need of, that he is our Savior, Deliverer, Healer, the one who makes whole, the one who prospers, the one who puts everything in its right place for us. When we declare the name of Jesus, there's not something behind it that is a hope so, think so, maybe so. But there is a confident declaration in Jesus' name that every other knee must bow to that name of the one who's present with us. We thank you for it. If you're watching my live 